Welcome to the Current Bun Energy Podcast, sponsored by Weidman Electrical Technology. With me, marketing extraordinaire Francis Fisher, joined each month by my colleague, electrical engineer, IEEE Medallion Award winner and wearer, Tom Prevo. We're not your regular energy podcast. Yes, we like to discuss all things generation, transmission and distribution, but we also like to have a good laugh along the way. Joined by special guests who give us their unique industry insight, peppered with segments such as Touch My Components, which is exactly as it sounds, along with Beer of the Month from Tom. We hope you enjoy the podcast as much as we enjoy making it, If you like to see a grown man with a napkin on his face touching a snout, then this could be the energy podcast for you. So join us at Current Bun Energy Podcast, subscribe below to get the latest news and join us across other social media platforms. And welcome to this, the second Current Bun Energy Podcast. And this, Tom Prevo, is the Christmas edition. But it's oh. also yeah, yeah. But it's also a special edition because where are we? We are in my basement, drinking and some of my homebrew. Yes, and cheers. What, actually, let's get straight into it, Tom. What okay. are we drinking today? What is this? So this particular brew is called Kolsch. It's a German uh, ale that was from uh, the Cologne region. And if you'll look at the glass, thank you, Frankie. Welcome. Because uh, a couple years ago, I invited Frankie over for my first batch of Kolsch. And although he enjoyed it, he told me I was serving it in the wrong glass. Mm. So this is, thanks to Frankie, it's a smaller glass. Yeah, It's 10 ounces. 10 ounces. So the idea, it's very unusual for the Germans to drink a beer very fast so they felt better if they put it in a small glass that way they could drink it very quickly okay For an american even if it was a pint it would probably be okay but yeah well it so. tastes good anyway oh thank uh, what's you the, i mean colch you don't brew this all the time you're more of an ipa on tap um and we'll get into that um we can see here behind you your keyser Exactly. You got it right that time, Francis. Uh, yeah, Good thank job. you, Tom. And of course, in the last podcast, you talked a bit about your keys, saying, uh, telling us about how you constructed it yourself. But don't spoil that just yet. We'll get into that later. But tell us a bit about your Kolsch beer. How do you brew it? Why do you brew it? I mean, does it take longer? Is it less time? So my favorite beer is an IPA, but IPAs are... They were very, very popular for a long time, so I like to try some alternative beers. Kolsch is an ale. There's two types of beers, ales and lagers. And Kolsch is probably the single ale that is the most like a lager. Yeah. It is, it's light. It's very refreshing to drink. Uh, a lager, for those of you, uh, you know, like Budweiser, most of the Pilsners, all Pilsners are lagers. So for Kolsch, uh, it's a little easier. Ales are easier to make. Because the lagers require you to ferment them at a very low temperature, which is called lagering. And that's why they're called lagers. Okay. But uh, it takes like three months to get a lager from start to finish. And for an ale, you can do it in as little as three weeks. Okay. And I'm assured that we have currently how many gallons on draft behind you? 
Well, of the coals, we have five gallons because I just tapped the keg last night. Yeah. And that's what I typically make, five-gallon batches. And I've got an IPA on tap, and there's about two gallons left on that. Okay, so, so we've, we've got enough to see us. I think, the I end think of the we're podcast. okay. We yeah. should be able to make it. Yeah. Well, we might have a try of the IPA later in the podcast. But as you know, listeners, this is an energy podcast that even though we do love beer and we're in Tom's prepper basement, for those <laughs> that listened to the, uh, the last podcast, we are here to talk about energy. So let's jump in, Tom, with stories in the news this week. Okay. So I have a special question for you, and that is World Cup fever. So at the moment, the Football World Cup or as you would describe it, the Soccer World Cup, the FIFA World Cup is currently going on in Qatar. And in the UK, growing up as a child, I I remember there always been a discussion when England played that at half-time, the energy network was at risk. And that's because too many people in the UK, unlike you, don't drink enough beer, which is the first time I've probably ever said that about British people. But they all go and flick the kettle on at half time and of course half time you know it's bang on the time so within three minutes you potentially have 10 to 15 million kettles being clicked on electric kettles all at once and of course other appliances running and so on as people do things at half time is that really a risk or were the energy company just pulling our leg a little bit or what's your thoughts on can we create a blackout at the uh, england game world cup <laughs> half time in the uk <laughs> So first of all, um, I assume a kettle is a container that is for water, right? Mm. And that you guys are brewing tea? Is that yes, what you're doing? it's for tea, ah, exactly. Okay. So we need boiling water. Oh, okay. All right. So um, What would you call a kettle? Pot. Ah, pot. Okay. Uh, yeah. And we wouldn't drink tea. We would just keep drinking beer through halftime. So. Yeah, of course. <laughs> or brown water. Or That's brown the water, right? It's called coffee, I think. Yeah, but I think here it's brown water. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. So, what's the chances of us causing a power outage tomorrow? England play France in right. the quarterfinals, so it's a big, big game. They're predicting more than sixty percent of the nation will tune in, so that's some millions. What's your thoughts, Tom? Well, if if the power company wasn't a smart power company then there could be a risk, but I'm sure that they are anticipating this. So they will, in fact, probably have some power sources on reserve that they can, it's called spinning reserve. So if you have spinning reserve means that this, we talked about it last time, hydro is a great classic example of spinning reserve. So if all of a sudden everyone turns their kettles on, then this spinning reserve can just kick in and, and take care of that short duration. Okay. So, but if it was not a smart power grid, then it could very likely bring the grid down. Because as I mentioned in our last grid, the power system, you have to, at the same time somebody's consuming it, you have to produce it. So, so we're back to demand meet uh, uh, generation meeting demand almost exactly. instantaneously right, yeah. right. okay well I guess we'll see I mean in my lifetime I've never known the electricity go off at half time and if it did I think the British public would riot 
but the thought of not being able <laughs> oh, to catch yeah. the second half. Yeah, so they couldn't catch the second half. Yeah, yep. exactly. So we um, had that one time at, in the U.S. It's Super football. Bowl. So there was a there was a Super Bowl in New Orleans, and they they lost power in the Super Bowl. It was due to uh, configuration they had of the power system. They had some over overpowered circuits that uh, didn't have a good backup, and uh, yeah, all the lights went off for for a pretty good amount of time. What's an overpowered circuit? Is that where you've just got too many connections on a single transformer, or what does that mean? Yeah, you think about your house where you've got your breaker panel. Yeah. So you would have for, you know, the lighting circuit and all the extra load that's that's not normal in the Superdome. Yeah. All of a sudden, those circuits were overloaded, and mm-hmm. they didn't anticipate it, and they couldn't react quick enough to move the loads onto some other circuits. And I'm sure a few people lost their jobs over that. Yeah. <laughs> so question, if you build a new stadium, do you need a whole new energy network for that in that, that area? Is it, is it a very power hungry type of environment? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think it just depends on what's already there, but for sure there's, there's a significant amount of power that is consumed locally in that stadium, particularly in a place like Qatar. So think about the air condition load just for that place. Well, and I think it's the first time, I don't know if it's the first time in the history of a a stadium like that. I'm sure plenty have air conditioning in certain regions, but for the Football World Cup, each of those stadiums have basically air conditioning, but it's an open roof. So they are just blowing out full air onto the field. Oh, I'm sure the power load is just incredible. Yeah. Just incredible. Yeah. Okay. Well, on to another topic in the news and something completely different. Last week in North Carolina, there was an alleged attack on the energy network. Um, I I read saying it was a domestic attack. But I think what was quite interesting about it is that they specifically targeted Transformers – and it seemed fairly coordinated or at least not a random opportunistic person. So, you know, the, the story goes that somebody shot a, a number of Transformers in a particular area in North Carolina and managed to take the power out for just under 50,000 people, I think it was. Um, but, the you know, the topic is that is this an act of terror if it was sort of premeditated and they came, you know, forearmed with knowledge as to, to how to, to execute something like that? And is it a warning for the future? Um, we also see at the moment the war in Ukraine where Russia are targeting energy infrastructure to try to reduce the capabilities of Ukraine to, to fight back, let's say, or right. to defend themselves. Yeah. What's your thoughts on right. that? Uh, domestically, that is. We don't or, want to uh, get into international politics. Yeah, or to heat their homes, international politics. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, there's a real famous occurrence of that called the Metcalf substation. It was in the Silicon Valley area. And that was a concentrated, planned attack on a substation in which they, well, they still haven't caught the folks that did it. But it was felt and believed to be a desire to take out the power grid in Silicon Valley, which would have had a significant effect on you know on, on the 
U.S. economy. Yeah. Um, as it turns out, even though they were able to destroy a, a lot of equipment, it it didn't. It, it, the the grid was able to react and and backfeed the load, and so there wasn't a significant outage. The difference between that and what happened in North Carolina is that in North Carolina, I mean, there was I. I I don't I know the grid's restored by now, but it was many days such that people were and those uh, hospitals running generators. Yeah, yeah, so, running generators, yeah. folks lost all the food in their refrigerators because uh, obviously, you know, all the freezers were not working and um so yeah, it's uh, hopefully us talking about it doesn't make it more popular. Well, and I was I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, we we certainly don't want to to talk about the house. But what what I'd be interested to hear is, you know, what what are energy companies are they looking at this? Absolutely. I, I, yeah. yeah, I heard the phrase grid resilience and so on. I mean, what? Yeah. The... So there's 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 two ways to to be able to manage the risk. One is to what's called hardening of the substations themselves. So putting high fences around the substations so that you can't sit on the outside and pick off the equipment on the inside. That's probably, in my opinion, the best and most cost-effective, although some of these substations are quite large. And depending on the elevation, you know, you'd have to worry about people gaining. Like at Metcalf, for, for example... Um, these people found high points of access where they were actually shooting down onto the equipment. And the other is the specific equipment itself. A couple of years ago, after Metcalf, I saw a presentation from a transformer manufacturer. I mean, it was a cool presentation because this guy was talking about starting off with, you know, hunting rounds going all yeah. the way up to to 40 millimeter armor piercing rounds and shooting transformers. And, but they were putting, you know, they were putting on the walls of the transformer, they were putting basically armor plating on there to, to harden the equipment. So I think you need to do both of that depending on where, where your substation is and how critical it is. But there's uh, it's pretty scary and uh, we'll see. Because these these pieces of equipment are fairly vulnerable, and yeah. the problem is right now the replacement time for this equipment is years. So you know that comes up to the resilient part. That the other risk management is having backup equipment. Yeah, and one of the things I saw in some of the media coverage in North Carolina was the use of what's called a mobile substation. Yeah. So, so like something that a Delta Star would manufacture or Jordan or somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. basically the entire substation on a trailer. It's got the transformer. It's got um, switches on either side, so you can wheel it in, and you know within hours to be able to yeah. to do some backup. Um, the challenge there is depending on the size of the substation on whether or not you have a mobile that's big enough. Yeah. So then you worry about you, know, you can pick up the load, the critical load, like the hospitals, yeah. but the poor guy on the end of his road that's you got a free, yeah, yeah. freezer full of all his meat that he's been saving up for. I saw on the news this guy, you know, obviously it was a guy that was living day to day, and he, he had like $300 worth of food in his freezer that he lost. 
Yeah. Well, and probably with inflation, if he's had it in there for more than a month, it's probably worth six hundred dollars. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, okay, the replacement value has gone up on his insurance bill. Yeah, tenfold. So, anyways, mobile transformers are real cool. I know we we have a short podcast today because it's Christmas, no. but maybe in the future we can talk about some of the technology for these uh, for these mobile substations. They're, it's really interesting, and there's some other equipment that is bigger than a mobile substation, but you know, it's, uh, there's technology to replace some of this equipment and it's been sponsored by the government too for this backup resilience. Um, yeah. Be able to bring these units in and, and replace them within days. Yeah. Some of that was prompted by uh, Superstorm Sandy actually around the north uh, around Newark and New yeah, York New City. York City yeah. 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 Yeah, I was in New York at that time. Really? Yeah. And well actually I wasn't. I was the uh, the least popular person on the Upper West Side, because uh, my wife had just had, we just had a first child, and it was my first business trip, and I left it with a new baby. Was it a boy or a girl? A boy, Louis. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, well, you could still call them Sandy. True, but it was, it was. this was a few weeks after. Right, right? Okay. I had done the good thing of staying home for at least a couple of weeks. All right. And uh, by chance, I, I had a trip to San Diego in California, and um, I, actually, I stayed in a hotel there, and I forget what it's called, but it was the first hotel to have electric lights, and Edison oversaw the installation himself. And mm. what was interesting, they left it, you know, for authenticity as it was, and they'd run gas pipes along all the routes where they were putting lights because they never believed that it would work. Right. This whole concept of electricity. Well. And they didn't want to finish the construction of the hotel. So when you stay there, yeah, you see all the to all the lights in the rooms, everything, there's gas gas pipes taking yeah, gas. Okay. Oh. I forget the name of the, the hotel. It's, it's a big it's in San Diego? No, it's just south. It's down where the Navy SEALs are. Um, so, uh, I think it's south of San Diego. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, we'll look it up and throw a link in the uh, in the comments for anybody that wants to stay in the first electrified. Yeah, that'd be cool. Lighting hotel. Yeah, it was great. It was an industry event, and I thought it was a great mm. venue to to right. play, but also expensive. Okay. It wasn't a cheap hotel, so uh, so you know that's maybe a limitation. But uh, on that topic, I think we definitely back to what you said about mobile transformers. I think we should probably get somebody from maybe Delta Star on. Because I think they have a big role to play in in the future of this grid resilience type. Oh, there's definitely, yeah. And they're the biggest manufacturer of mobile yeah. transformers. And because, I mean, for all you can make a transformer resilient, there's always going to be a weakness. Yeah. But if you have the, the luxury or the comfort that your utility can, can roll out within, you know, 12, 24 hours uh, a mobile substation then you know that's that's some some achievement but what's the setup time like if i have one an hour away from that location and i drive up with it two hours after the power's gone off how long is it going to take me to hook that up yeah that's a good question and when we get the guy from delta star we can <laughs> learn some more about it i mean it, it depends so there's two basically two uses for for these mobile subs one is for maintenance Yep. And in that case, they probably got everything ready. Yep. So I think if you're doing a maintenance outage, you know, it's 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 two to four hours. 
if if you've got a unit that failed, you've got to worry about. I, I think it's probably in the in the day range. Yeah. I don't I don't expect you could, you know, bring that in and restore power in less than a day. Yeah, yeah. I would uh, imagine it's not that simple to disconnect a whole substation and reconnect to your right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, some of these still, resilient. Versus, yeah, yeah, yeah. You versus, know, you can run on a, a hospital can run on a gas generator or diesel generator for a day, but when you start to prolong that, I'm assuming it becomes more challenging. Right. I actually worked for a a company years ago that owned a company that did generator monitoring because one of the big issues with commercial generators was that the one time they needed them, it wouldn't start. And they had a, you know, a remote platform that basically periodically fired up the, the generator and had telemetrics that basically reported back that, yes, it had run. Hmm. Yes, it had run. So, you know, it had a bunch of tests right, that it ran. Right. And it told them uh, what to do. But, you know, if it needed maintenance or it didn't start or the battery was low or, it, you know, whatever. But what, what was interesting there is, and this... This sort of fell over for obvious reasons, I think. But one of the things they looked at doing around New York City was being able to use them for load shedding. So in the event that oh, the yeah. city became overloaded, right. they could fire up 250 commercial generators yeah. and take a percentage of the load off. Yeah. Chicago. Chicago did that for whew, maybe as much as five years where they were taking backup generators and actually using them actively and in the powering that local grid. Yeah. yeah. Well, this, this, as you can imagine, it fell over because of the emissions issue. You know, you're in New York city and you fire up 200 yeah, noise. diesel. Yeah. Noise diesel generates the noise pollution, the black smoke, the emissions. Yeah. But what they did get running with, which was interesting at the time when I lived there, window mount air conditioners were one of the biggest problems for Con Edison on the network. Because typically, you know, all these, apartments old old apartment buildings you didn't have any central ac mm. but you you had usually a window mount in in the main room in yeah. the apartment that's what we had you know we lived in an old brownstone walk up um single floor flat and what was interesting is the price you know everybody used to go and buy those things from ge and maybe they were i don't know let's say six seven eight hundred dollars and all of a sudden, the market was flooded with cheaper units, predominantly manufactured in Asia at that point, mm. that meant a window mount unit could be as little as $200. So it made no sense not to have one in every room. And I remember, you know, when I when we lived there, we had one put in our son's room because we had one in the main bedroom and the, and the living room. And, you know, it cost 200 bucks, and I think I gave the superintendent $80 to fit it. So they worked out that there was more than 200,000 of these going on the network each year back then in, I guess, 2012, something like that. Mm. And the load on the distribution network, the local street-to-street -street network with that was huge. Right. Because what was happening is everybody had come home from work at, you know, 6, 7 o'clock in the evening. The first thing they'd do is in the summer turn on all the AC units in the, right. in the apartment. Right. Because why not? I've got them now. Yep. Switch them on. And they were they were literally lighting up distribution transformers. 
I can imagine. And so what they what they did, so back to the you know the, the generator concept, this was slightly different, but the same. You could get from ComEd a smart plug that you would plug your air conditioner units into and it would connect to your Wi-Fi. So the contract was, you know, that they'd use your Wi-Fi, you allowed them to do that. And they would pay you to control those air conditioning units. So basically they could send a remote signal to the plug and they would do rolling, like rolling shutdowns. So you wouldn't necessarily see, you know, it wouldn't be shut off for three hours and you'd be sweltering in your house. It might be shut off for 15 minutes, but they'd shut 50,000 off for 15 minutes, 50,000 off for 15 minutes, 50, you know, and that was the concept that if you add the, the volume, even in a short burst, which didn't really affect the temperature within the house right. or the, the apartment, you know, it may have gone up a couple, two, three, four degrees in that 15 minutes, but not enough to make it uncomfortable. And then you'd be back in and they would pay you for that. Mm. So it was, yeah, an interesting sort of load shedding concept yeah. that, that worked to some extent. One definition of the smart grid, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, I'm, you know, Tom, I'm out of beer here. You're out of beer. So I'm, I'm going to suggest we go across to the Keezer. Mm. And I know you've been dying to tell us all about the Keezer and how you designed it, how you put it together. So we're going to give you that opportunity, but I am told you only have a maximum of five <laughs> minutes to do that. And before we do that, Thomas, I have a Christmas gift for you. Oh, okay. Here so we go. I have I have one for both of us, but All I think right. before we before we go to the keyser, so I apologize for those listening and those not watching, but you're more than welcome. So I, I thought long and hard about what to get you, Tom. <laughs> and I thought, how can I combine classless style <laughs> with beer drinking? So let me check. Oh, here you are. It's your very own <laughs> Christmas sweater with a beer holder. Oh, yeah. That says melting in easy. <laughs> so let me oh, let me take the tag out for you, Tom. I give you yeah. that, and uh, yeah, that looks yeah. good, right? Yeah. yeah. So do you get that on, Tom? Yeah, yeah. Now look, I I didn't get the uh, the beer drinking one. You I didn't? got the, uh, the 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 cool Santa having a beer, basically. <laughs> um, so let me try and get this on. Now I will say, you told me that you'd been slimming. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. So how I, I got you a video. You know, I mean, yeah. this is a test here, and I'll report back to you. Oh, hey, it's not looking yeah. too bad. Yeah, yeah, a little tight. Melting in, easy. Gives me a gives me a, a target. Yeah. yeah. There you go. And I thought for your trip to Florida for the holidays, Tom. You know, for the beer. Here. There you go. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Right. Well, now on that note, let me get this one on. Oh, I think mine's tighter than yours. <laughs> You left your tag on there. Oh, there you go. And I expect to see photos of you in Florida with a beer tucked <laughs> in your pocket wearing this with your family. Yeah, you know. hopefully it's not cold enough that I can do it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there we go. All right. All right, so on that note, let's top our beers up. All right. And then you can give us your teaser explanation. Beer. Yeah. So, Tom, here you are at your famous keyser. I thought you were going to say favorite spot in the house. Well, yeah, favorite spot in the house. Which it is. Yeah, exactly. So can you tell us, well, first of all, pour us a beer, Tom. Okay, first of all. Yeah, so top that one up. 
So this is the Kolsch, right? This is the Kolsch right here. Kolsch, 5% alcohol. Put in the keg on 12.8. So that was last night. Okay. So that's Thank yours. You. Cheers. Cheers. Huh? And I will have to pour one for myself because the rule in this house is no one drinks alone. It's a good rule. Yes. To your health. Cheers. Uh, happy holidays. Mm. Merry Christmas. Oh. So... I think I've given you some training. What is a keezer? It's the combination of two words. So it's a combination of a keg and a freezer. There you go. See? Good job. I told you this would be an education for me <laughs> in this podcast. So what I did is I just went to Lowe's and I found a, a very small, I think, I can't remember, 7.2 cubic feet freezer. Wasn't too expensive, less than $200. And the first thing is you unscrew the cover and you build this with just two by four wood. You build this collar around. Do you recommend two by four wood? Absolutely two by four. Yeah, there's two no sense to making it higher and it needs to be at least uh, four inch. Actually, this is US, it's three and a half inches. But that's a two by four. So, have you yeah. always been told that three and a half inches enough? Yeah, always. <laughs> so, yeah, so why do I put this collar on here? Why do you put this collar on the here? The reason Tom? is that I don't want to be drilling holes through my freezer itself because of the insulation in the walls and the way that it's manufactured. So by putting the collar in, I can put my hardware in order to bring my beer lines through the top of the freezer. You can see in here I have two kegs in there. They each hold five gallons. I have this header here. This is my CO2. But I assume you can put three kegs in as you've got the... I can put three and I've got... My problem is that my son came and visited me recently with all his buddies and yep. they drank all my beer. So I'm trying to rebuild my supplier right now. Okay. <laughs> so... The question that you would have, right, is why? how can I use a freezer for keeping my beer? Isn't my beer going to freeze, right? Tell me. Would you ask that question? You know, it was the next question I was going to ask. (laughs) Why would you put your beer in a freezer? Exactly. Well, I have this gizmo right here that turns freezer into a refrigerator. So I will put my beer down. Well, you have, a pocket. You. you have a pocket for your oh. beer, Yeah, but it's, I don't know. It's going to go. I don't want it to spill all over me. Well, you need to take a drink out of it first. <laughs> Come on, Thomas. Let's, uh, let's take a drink. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So hopefully I don't get too excited. Yeah. So this right here is my thermostat. I put that in the bottom of my freezer. And then that goes to this temperature control. And I plug my freezer into this temperature controller. So my freezer says, I want to be zero degrees. I want to be zero degrees. Please let me be zero degrees. But this guy says, I can program it. And it says, no, I'm only going to give you enough power to turn my freezer on when I feel like it. So I can set this. In this case, I have it set to 35 degrees. And currently the temperature is 38 degrees. So that turns mm. this into a refrigerator. So I have my beer. Turns it into a keezer. Turns it into a keezer. So tell me this, Tom. How long will a beer last in there if you tap it? 
Mm, I haven't tested that because usually I drink it before it goes bad. <laughs> but it should, I mean, it's it, because it has the CO2 and it's constantly under pressure. So it doesn't see oxygen. It doesn't see anything. I mean, theoretically, it should last. You could put a beer in there for six months. I think it would be fine. So the ultimate question here. That works good. I appreciate that. See, (laughs) you're going to be great. Um, Final ultimate question on the Keezer. Why not just go out and buy like a kegerator? Good question. So my total cost for this, and I'm able to put three kegs, so I can always normally have three different beers going at the same time. My total cost was less than $400. A keezer in which you can only put one keg in. Kegerator. A kegerator. And sorry for the people that make kegerators, but a kegerator is typically, I think, around 800 maybe even more. For so, a single? For a single keg. Wow. So, yeah. You you should start, I mean, you're wasted in the transformer industry. I think I, think I am, yeah. Plus, I bought this really cool thing here that you can... Uh, I just screwed it right into the side, so when I overfill my beer, it just gets there, so my wife doesn't give me hell, and it's dripping everywhere. But, I mean, far be it for me to critique your engineering design here, but the last thing you said about five minutes ago was that you didn't want to drill holes. In yeah, the well, of, you have uh, to be very things. careful. These are very shallow screws. They're only about that big. Okay. Special sheet metal screws, and I also... Know that there was no circulation there. That's a good point. You yeah. could glue it on, I guess. But yeah, that'd uh, be an option. Yeah, yeah. So if anybody wants uh, further information on how to build a keyser, let me know. Let yeah. me know. I I can't take credit for inventing this myself. A keyser is uh, has been around for a while, and I was just I went and I did some searching on the internet and found. Uh, actually, uh, it wasn't a podcast, but it was a YouTube. Did you know what a podcast was, Tom, before we started? I'm not sure. I still know what a podcast is, Frankie. (laughs) It's current bun. Current bun. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) So yeah, that's my, that's my keyser. I'm real happy with it. It's, it's fun and it allows you to have some variety. And I always try to have, as I said, my favorite beer is an IPA. Yep. So I always like to have an IPA on tap, but I always try to have some variety as well. So this particular IPA is fairly strong, so it's not like you can have a bunch of them. Yep. So some lighter beers as well, and uh, yeah, we enjoy it. Kolsch is one of getting to be one of my favorites. It's actually typically a summer ale, mm. but it's very tasty, and I don't see why you can't drink it all day long. Oh. All year long. Well, I would drink to that. All day long might be a little... (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's 5%. It's a summer beer. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Tom, for introducing us to your Keezer. And for those that's interested, you can uh, reach us in the comments. Let us know if you want design drawings. I'm sure Tom has a whole spreadsheet, uh, you know, of costings and components that you need. That he'd be more than willing to share with you to promote beer drinking. Absolutely. Always willing to share things about beer drinking. Well, 
Christmas is around the corner, Tom. And it is. What do engineers do for Christmas? Is there anything special? Do you take pleasure in stringing lights because it's your uh, your passion and your your career, or is there anything in particular that you Absolutely. like? Absolutely, it's how many lights you can get on one circuit. It's uh, putting timing circuits in. The latest thing is circuits that automatically go on and off with photovoltaics. It sense when the when it's light and dark out, I got some really cool stuff that I could share with you if you're interested. No, not really. <laughs> uh, I mean, usually, you know, you just plug these things in and... Uh, yeah, that was yeah. the old time, yeah. Well, yeah. no, I, I actually have Wi-Fi modules <laughs> that go into the, right. the the socket and then the plug goes into that. Yeah. So And then you download a program. That, I have an app. Yeah. And, you know, if the kids are misbehaving tonight and I'm up here in Vermont and they're down there in Rhode Island, I can hit a button on my phone and tell them Santa Claus isn't coming and all the lights have gone out. <laughs> it's a sign that they've been naughty, not nice. Yeah. And have you been nice this year, Tom? Are you in line Actually, for, uh... I think I'm in line for a pretty good Christmas, yeah. <laughs> my wife's not here to say anything to say about otherwise, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And how about you, Francis? Yes, I'm staying in the U.S. this Christmas because oh. I think most people have been asking me, am I going overseas back to Europe, to the family? And I said, no, this year we'll be in the U.S. And I'd said to my wife that we were looking forward to a nice, quiet, you know, family Christmas, 2.4. 2.4. 4 kids. Yeah, yeah back yeah. to that. Which I think I got wrong, by the way. I think it's 4.2. But, I mean, either way, it doesn't really matter. We'll stick with 2.4. Either way, it's not mathematically correct. Yeah, so. Not everything has to be mathematically <laughs> correct, Thomas. Even the Wyman curve's not linear. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so no, we, we will stay here. And I thought, a nice, quiet Christmas. But, of course, you have Turkey Day on Thanksgiving. We don't. We have Turkey Day on the 25th in the UK. Okay. 25th of December. Right. So, of course, you know, a bunch of our U.S. friends are intrigued as to, you know, we've seen a Thanksgiving dinner. What does a British turkey day look like on mm. the 25th? So, of course, you know, being the nice people that we are, you know, we, we sort of said, well, why don't you come round? And then, you know, somebody else mentioned it, and why don't you come round? And somebody else, and why don't you come round? So I think at the current count, we're at 18. Wow. Yeah, with yeah. kids, yeah. that is. So yeah. the, the number's growing, and the turkey isn't. So uh, I did buy Gonna two. need a backup. Yeah, that's it. Well, I was thinking of ham, Christmas ham. I'm more of a ham guy than a turkey guy. But, you know. Do they do roast beef in the UK? Well, it's very popular to have uh, like a big, like a ribeye roast. Or something. Yeah. So, I mean, turkey is, I, well, turkey's totally different in the UK to here. So in the US, you eat turkey all year. Right. You know, when I go to the grocery store, one of the most common things I see is turkey on the delicatessen counter or, right. you know, the meat counter or whatever. In Europe, not so much. Turkey is purely a Christmas thing. Mm. Like, I could probably say with confidence that my last years in Europe, I've only ever eaten turkey once per year, and that is on the 25th. Really? Yep. Oh. Never touched it outside of that. Actually, normally we have turkey on Thanksgiving as well. I mean, on Christmas. Okay. Yeah. It's the centerpiece for Thanksgiving. You can't not have turkey. Yeah. 
Christmas, it's kind of optional. I have a present for you. Oh, be right back. Thomas. Hello. So, oh. my family is French Canadian. So, our treat is to have meat pie, which is tortillere in French Canadian. And so Tortier. it's pork. Is pork okay with your family? Yes. Yep. It's Always a ground up. pork. Basically ground pork, potatoes, and some a few onions in there. And is this pre-made? It's pre-made, yeah. Can I we, have a look at it? Yeah, that, yeah okay. we'll, we'll show it's, the it's, uh, cook, it's already cooked oh, and frozen. Right. So just reheat it. So you just reheat it. Oh, wow. Yep. And you and said last week you weren't the pastry guy. No, actually, we. My father, who is ninety years old, who used to own a bakery. Yep. He came over last weekend along with my brother and my sister-in-law, and uh, we made tortillas. We have like twenty of them in the freezer. Wow, that looks so, great. Well, and funnily enough, meat pies is a big tradition in the UK. Yeah. Meat and potato, meat and vegetables, yep. and yeah, and especially at football time of year. So really. Yep, it's tradition to have a meat and potato pie at the football, at the soccer. Uh-huh. Yep. And it's, uh, uh-huh. you know, handheld size. And there's even a, a, a rating of the best pies at the football clubs mm-hmm. around the, the oh. UK. Yeah. So I'd, like, I'll, I'd like to compete. You'll have to let me know what you think about that one. The, I will, and my uh, kids will enjoy that as well very yeah, much. And uh, thank you very much, Thomas. You're welcome. A homemade Prevo pie. Yeah. Well, that's all... Tortier. Tortier, sorry. Tortier. So is that, sorry, is that not... I always think of tortier or tortier as being a Spanish word. Is it a similar... I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I've only known that, that... So do you speak French, Thomas? No. No. Unfortunately. Who's your father? My father was brought up speaking French, yeah. So okay. English is his second language. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were, sorry, we're, uh, we were just about to wrap up then, but I was just about to say you were in Mexico this week. Tom. I was, see. Si. Yeah. How was that? <laughs> it was nice. The weather was good. Yeah, I love Mexico. I love the people there and yeah. the food is really good. And uh, and you were visiting the Weidman plant yeah, in Saltillo. Yeah, the plant in Saltillo, which is outside of uh, Monterrey, actually going up. It's uh, It's up in the mountains. It's actually beautiful. And that's where Wyman has one of their big test laboratories, right, for transformer oil testing. Yes. Yeah. Yep. We have a test laboratory. We also do our monitoring uh, where we manufacture that. That was my primary focus, visiting them. I also have an engineering team there as well. So able to see them at the end of the year and have some holiday cheer with right. the Mexican colleagues. It was, it was Did that evolve tequila? Actually, it did not in this case. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we, it we, does. we go. We should just stereotype. Let me just make that clear. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, and and of course, I was in Switzerland last week. Oh, okay. At the the Weidman headquarters. Yeah. Which was nice. I feel like I ate my total body weight in cheese, which is so cliched going to Switzerland. Right. Right. But it just happened that way. We we had a I had a dinner with some colleagues on the. Tuesday evening, it was a fondue, the mm. cheese fondue. I went to a friend's house and they served cheese raclette. So oh, the grilled, right yeah, oh, grilled cheese. So nice. yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. And then on the Thursday night, I went to another friend's house and they decided to serve cheese fondue. <laughs> and then on the Friday, I basically waddled to the plane. <laughs> and I, I took my 10-year-old son with me. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. So he... Um, so he had friends he visited. Yeah, well, he actually, he went back to school for a week. So it was quite an interesting... He went to school in, in Switzerland, a German-speaking school. And we have a tutor for him here to try to keep his languages up. Just thought opportunistically if he, you know, yeah, could do that. So we contacted the school here in the US, his school, and said, "What? what's your thoughts on this? And they said, no, great idea. Yeah, it's educational, he's going yeah, in yeah. school, so feel free. And then the one thing that we were a bit surprised about was that the Swiss school was very flexible about it because obviously you're not registered in the town, you know, and, and I'm sure in the UK or the US, having a random student that, you know, is not a resident, would be a question mark, right. you know, from a, a, yeah, whatever reason. But no, they were absolutely great. His old class is still together. So each morning I would drop him off at a friend's house. I'd go to work, he'd go to school and go back to a friend's house and then I'd pick him up in the evening. And nice. uh, yeah, it yeah. worked really well and he did great with the jet lag. And um, yeah, it was good to practice his German and yeah. he still speaks far better German than I ever will. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's the that's the age. Yeah. That's good time to do it. Yep. Well, on that note, we would like to thank you for joining us thank on the you. Tom. Tom, you're almost out of beer. Did we just have enough left to finish this off? Yes. I would like to thank you for joining us on the Christmas edition of the Energy Podcast. I know that we or, or the current the current bun current Energy bun. Podcast. Exactly. Sorry, could I forget that? Yeah. So we will be back with you in the new year. I know we promised you a special guest and this time we didn't deliver because this was kind of a hastily run Christmas edition. Been a busy week. It's been a busy week. And Tom, who's the special guest on the next episode? The next guest on our next episode is going to be, I don't have a clue. Okay, so I'm not sure who that is. But we'll work it out. I will be back with you in the new year. Sounds good. Have a safe holiday period if you celebrate. If not, I hope you get some time off work to relax a little bit with friends, family. Take care. And from the, well, from Tom and I, the Current Bone Energy Podcast. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Cheers. Cheers.